This won't end well for Illinois. Here's a three. It ended well. McCourt for the win. In the air. It is up. And it is good. Fourth and 16. Pressure comes. And Matt Orbebe with the ball in the air. Makes the catch. Welcome to Oski Talk. I'm Drew Pastoric. Football officially in the rearview mirror, at least on the Illini side of things, but the offseason already off to a pretty good start. So we'll talk about a little bit of the end of season stuff and then some of the offseason moves, the transactions that have taken place. It's already hashtag portal season. Happy to be joined by my good friend. The man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Plez Honeywood. Plez, glad to be back with you. It's been a, a long time. Been quite a while. I think we were midway through football season, maybe. Was it or was it Toledo? Was it even that? When's the last time we talked? Yeah, I think it was the Toledo game. Was was the last time that we we had a that I've been able to hop on. But I'm glad uh, glad to be joining you today to talk about some news from all over Illinois land, as our colleague Brent. Calls it. Yes, yes. Uh, not just football, of course. We're we're gonna try to scurry away from that as much as possible. Uh, we'll get our thoughts on the the kind of the end of season stuff here in a moment. Like I said, um, but a lot more to get into. And it's it's a busy week. Was a busy week, and it's going to be an even busier week ahead with lots of basketball, some high profile matchups coming up for the men's side specifically. And we'll have a, some some playoff discussion as well. The top four revealed on Sunday morning. And I'm sure everyone's just fine with those four choices. No one's got any strong takes about those picks whatsoever. I'm sure the folks in Tallahassee are feeling just free and easy this weekend. So, <laughs> uh, plus, before we jump in, reminder that's Oski Talk is sponsored by Liddyville LLC. You can support the movement, support current fighting Illini athletes, as well as University of Illinois alumni organizations and charities at liddyville.com. They've got a students slash alumni line. Lots of cool stuff for you to check out and get that officially licensed Illini merchandise today at liddyville.com. All right, Ples, so let's just get into the meat and potatoes here. Illinois finishing five and seven, losing a very dramatic, a theatrical game with Northwestern, to say the least. Um, it's kind of the the beauty and the beast, the tale as old as time. <laughs> you know, like Illinois having opportunities to win, then looking terrible for a long stretch of time, then having another chance to win. Several opportunities presented themselves for Illinois to seize that win, and they couldn't take advantage of it despite some stellar individual performances. You know, we had the Indiana game several weeks ago where John Paddock just went nuclear for 507, second highest yardage total in the history of the program, 
That's covering Jeff George. That's covering Kurt Kittner, uh, Trudeau, Kittner, Champagne, Tony Eason. Yeah, Tony Eason, like spanning a lot of. Well, he's had some pretty good quarterbacks over the years, and John Paddock having the second most ever as a backup quarterback. That's just like a whoa, like a mind blowing number. So an epic game, but a game where you still, even though you put up 660 yards, couldn't put away Indiana, couldn't comfortably beat the worst team, maybe the worst team in the Big Ten in Indiana. And then Iowa, flip it, you know, opportunities again late in the game. I don't know. I've gone back and forth about that. I feel like even though John Panic threw the ball 47 times, I feel like the game plan was still a little iffy. I didn't really like it, especially end of game. And if you watched the Big Ten Championship game on Saturday, it was exactly what Iowa had done all year. Like, our defense is going to stifle you, and we will dare you to score points. And Illinois was just like, no, nah, we're cool. We'll just we'll try to win 13-10. It's all good. No worries. And we saw what happened there. So then you put yourself in a position where, okay, you lost to Iowa. Fine. They're you know an eight, nine win team. I'll, I'll preface it by saying we thought Northwestern was just going to be a decaying husk. And David Braun found a way to galvanize that team, turn it into a seven-win squad. You have to applaud them for that. I think we were expecting a lot of, you know, player exits and just this mass exodus after the Fitzgerald stuff went down. And a lot of those guys stayed there and they bought into what David Braun was doing. So you have to give him credit. But at the same time, it's like you gave up 45 points to Northwestern. What the actual hell? <laughs> like you have a 200-yard game from Casey Washington. He went Josh Emanor Bebe on Northwestern in the fourth quarter of that game. And it's like, that's still not enough? You still can't get a win? Like, the defense just could not stop a nosebleed in that game. Just absolutely terrible. And Illinois outgained Northwestern, right? Illinois outgained them in that game. I, I broke it down last week. Like, Northwestern had like 380 total. It's not a great number to give up, but it's not like, it's impossible to win giving up 380 yards. A lot of it was just how they did it. You know, they weren't getting chunk plays all throughout the game. It's just indicative of what we've seen all year from Illinois, leaving things on the table. The offense was good enough, even when Luke Altmaier was at QB, to win at least two or three more games and get bowl eligible and compete for a Big Ten West championship. The defense let them down repeatedly. So, Plez, I'll, I'll see the rest of this to you. What's your take on the season, how it unfolded? And moving forward, what do you think Illinois can do to remedy this entering this brave new frontier of the Big Ten with the new additions? Well, to brave the, new, the frontier of the new Big Ten, they're going to have to recruit a different kind of animal because – if your goal is to be Iowa or Wisconsin lights, then you will get Iowa, Wisconsin light results. 
now that's not a cheat code. That's not a cheat code for sustained success anymore. That's why Brian Ferentz isn't coming back next year. And that's why it's Luke Fickle in Madison, Wisconsin now, and not Paul Crist, because that formula is no guarantee for sustained success moving forward. On the Illini side, I think that there was a pretty clear weakness on this roster, and it was the definitive strength of last year's team. It was the secondary. And whether it was blown coverages, missed tackles, lack of turnover creation, when when your secondary doesn't produce in that way and, they can, and your corners can get picked on the way the Illini's corners got picked on, the Indiana game, Donovan McCulley looked like if Calvin Johnson in his prime, Jerry Rice in his prime, and like the Mark Duper, Mark Clayton combo in Miami in their prime all had a baby with Marvin yeah. Harrison Jr. and Marvin Harrison Sr. That's what he looked like against that secondary. And they tried to put bigger guys on him. I, I don't know. I pardon my ignorance. I don't know if Tyson Rooks was injured, but that seemed like a Tyson Rooks spot, but I think he might've been injured, which is why they didn't have the six, four corner on McCulley. But now the McCulley is in the portal. Maybe Illinois realized that's the kind of athlete you have to have to win. Yeah. It, it, moving forward. And, and to, to the credit of the Illini on this year's roster, you saw Caden Fagan show out as a true freshman. That's the kind of player who should become the norm and not the exception to the rule as Illinois tries to traverse the, the trouble of Oregon, USC, UCLA, and um, there's another team. Oh, right, the team that's going to be in the playoff this year, the University of Washington. Yeah. So we could, we could discuss how now the West Coast has opened up as an avenue for recruiting for the Illini. And with George McDonald and Andy Blue on staff, it kind of already was, but – the bigger story is that now Washington and USC and are going to be coming into the Midwest. Right. And if you're a talented receiver, who would you rather play for? Brett Bielema or Lincoln Riley? And this isn't a shot at Bielema. This is just Lincoln Riley runs a very pass happy offense. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you're going to have you're going to have to add some wrinkles to how you play to attract that higher end talent. Now Luke Altmaier seems like a, a pretty good answer at quarterback. You know, he's a dual threat type of a guy, Has does have a good arm. The ball security issues, part of that was the offensive line. Part of that was him getting reps. Now he's got more reps. I expect him, if he's healthy, to be better. So having stability there is a good thing. Having some talent coming back, you know, as far as linebackers, edge rushers, and wide receivers and running backs, you got you got plenty of talent there, but you gotta reload in your areas where you're hemorrhaging NFL talent like the D line, and where you've got a lot of, you know, question marks and and inexperience like the secondary and the offensive line. Yeah, Flez, I talked about it last week. It, it wasn't fair to expect the secondary to be 2022 secondary. That was anyone who thought that was going to happen just because the same nameplate was on the uniform, that wasn't fair. You know, you lost Spoon, 
and Sidney Brown. Just if even if you lost those two guys, it was going to be hard to replace that. But then, you know, Quan Martin was a second round pick as well. Kendall Smith, a very underrated secondary guy. He got signed after the draft. He didn't sign with a team, you know, out of camp, but that's four guys. That's four pros from one group at the same time. And then Matthew Bailey, who we thought is going to be, you know, Sidney Brown 2.0, he gets injured. He played, I think, one quarter or one half of one game. And that was game number three against Penn State. And then he was done. He was a guy you're thinking he's going to be a leader on that group because he got some valuable tick last year learning from Sidney Brown and some other guys. He, he misses virtually the entire season. So that's five guys, five impact guys on one in one position group like you can't have johnny newton in coverage right you're not gonna have johnny newton as your nickel corner right so like you you if he's not getting to the quarterback and he gets rid of the, the quarterback gets rid of the ball downfield it's gonna be ugly and we saw that despite guys like sabur kareem looking good at times zachary toby looking good at times look xavier and miles scott were really good for chunks of the season but they had some moments where you're like, oh, yeah, that's why they were backups. Oh, remember Miles Scott? Yeah, he was a wide receiver at this time last year. He had some flashes. There's room to grow. There's things to like. But And then I think Clayton Bush was okay. You could have gotten more out of him, but I think he was okay. Harper, eh, not really. Hill transferred in. He was injured didn't play at all so there was a lot of stuff i think of all of the all of the positions the secondary just got leveled whether it was guys leaving to the nfl or guys getting hurt or guys just not producing it was going to be different it was going to be difficult they weren't going to give up you know 12 points a game or whatever it was um and it wasn't like they were historically bad they weren't giving up you know 500 yards a game or anything like that you know through the air they had some really bad moments, but you could tell other teams were just going after it. Even Iowa was going after the secondary. You know, Deacon Hill, that first quarter that Iowa game threw for like 120 yards. It was like, that's like three games worth of passing yards for him. And he got it in the first quarter against Illinois. They were just like, they saw weakness and they went for it. So, yeah, I, I agree with you 100% there. And... That, to me, is where you need to get the most impact players. Yes, the, the defensive line needs some help. We'll get to that in a second. I'm glad you mentioned Luke Altmeyer, though. There's been some discourse amongst us at the Champagne Room of, like, well, this shows how stubborn Brett Bielema was. They could have had John Paddock starting this entire season, and look at what have happened. I don't know if that's necessarily fair. Luke Altmeyer does things that John Paddock can't do. Luke Altmeyer is a better runner than John Paddock. And maybe John Paddock saw the field better. Maybe his decision-making was a little faster, maybe a little more precise with the passes. But I don't think it's as simple as, oh, well, if John Paddock was the starter, boom, there's nine wins, and we're off and running. I don't think it was that simple. Because there were games where Isaiah Williams didn't show up very well. He had a couple of games early in the season, like you know, four catches and 20 yards or stuff like that. There were games where Pat Bryant was a no-show, had little to no impact whatsoever. Um, 
you know, the running backs we know were ravaged by injury. You were down to one scholarship back until the last game of the season when you had a couple of dudes come back. Um, I don't think it's just as simple as, oh, they were stubborn about not pulling the plug on Luke Altmaier. I thought Altmaier was fine. You want to bring in a guy in the portal to compete with him? You know, ratchet up the intensity? Sure, I'm cool with that. I'd be fine with that. Um, we saw John Paddock have a great three or four weeks. It was like Lynn's sanity in Champaign-Urbana, right? He was Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week as a backup quarterback, throwing for 500 yards in a game. He had that great stretch against Minnesota the week before. We had the, the 85-yard touchdown drive. Comes in on a fourth and 11. And, you know, boom, boom, boom. Touchdown, game's over. Wow. Illinois would not have been in bowl contention without him. Sure, of course. But I, I don't think Luke Altmeyer was a huge issue. As you talked about, the ball security, yes. you got to clean up that. You can't fumble as many times as he did. You can't throw interceptions. You can't hold on to the ball too long like we saw him do. I think that was the, the really thing, the thing that stood out the most to me about Paddock versus Altmeyer. Paddock would see a guy and just, boom, rip it. It's like if the guy was there, he'd throw to a spot and hope the guy got there. Or if he, you know, he picked up on things quickly. Altmeyer didn't see the field as well as quickly. And so I think you definitely saw Illinois reap the benefits there offensively. I think Barry Lunny Jr. deserves some credit too because he called better games as the season went on. Now, how much of that was John Paddock versus Luke Altmeyer, I don't know. I've made the Bears analogy before, Plez, and you'll you'll appreciate this as well. It's like when Justin Fields got injured and Tyson Bajant came in as the backup, and all you heard for those two, three, four weeks was like, we've made it easy for him to do well. Okay, that's great. You should, but why wouldn't you also make it easy for your starter as well? Like, why wouldn't you do the things that make your QB1 successful? Why not play into his hands as well? Instead of, oh, we're going to throw screen passes the entire game. Like, Justin Fields is not Luke Altmeyer, right? But you get, the, you get the gist. It's the same type of game plan. Like, you've got a guy who can run a little bit, can throw a little bit. He's got a good stable of receivers around him. Why not let him do those things instead of making him something he isn't? John Paddock, they didn't try to make him be something he wasn't. They weren't calling bootlegs and run plays and draw plays for him. They were letting him do what he does best, and that was stay in the pocket, make quick decisions, and you know if there's an open guy, throw it down the field. Luke Allmeyer's strength was more of the improvisational stuff. You know, play breaks down. He has to escape from pressure. He can make guys miss with his feet and make things happen. You can call more run plays for him. Maybe he doesn't excite you as much in the passing game, as much as like a vertical threat goes. But I think that was a lot of the issue early in the season. And maybe you can agree or disagree, Plus, but I think that was a lot of what frustrated me watching Illinois early in the season was like, okay, Luke Allmeyer just ran for 100 yards today. And now you're taking the ball out of his hands and having the offense do something it literally hadn't done the entire game. Why are you calling a different game in quarter one or quarter two 
It's like they were playing not to lose even in the games they were losing. <laughs> Why not just trust your offense? I don't know if it was a coaching thing, if it was a trust thing with the player itself. What do you think about that? So I'll talk about Paddock briefly and the argument that Paddock should have been the starter all along and that would have changed everything. We all watched the Penn State game. Yep. And we got a taste of what the John Paddock experience would have been like. There were some throws that were way off. And then there was a, yeah. a nice touchdown drive where he hit Malik Elzey in the end zone. The only time Malik Elzey scored this season. So you can argue, you can make the Paddock argument, but I don't think that that was necessarily the spark plug that the Illini needed. Now, late in the season, it was a significant boost of energy. It was it was major. I, I guess the best way I could I could compare the two is Paddock is more like Tommy DeVito and Luke Altmaier is more like Brandon Peters. Like Altmaier yeah. has a has a, a more reserved demeanor. He he can make plays with his legs. He has a good arm. He's, he has the higher prospect pedigree. Tommy DeVito is gregarious. He's outgoing. He's confident. He's he's become a cult hero. In yeah. you know in the in the tri-state area, as we all knew he would in some way or up, you know he's he's become a dude. He's a whether or not he's a starting quarterback in the NFL forever, he's a star. Okay, that's what Tommy yeah. DeVito is, and John Paddock is the same thing. He's got a star personality. Like when you're around him for thirty seconds, you're like oh wow, this is the fun guy. Everyone's gonna love this dude, and I, I think that bringing Paddock in was kind of like bringing Art Sikowski in. Like, you know that he's not necessarily going to be your long-term starter, but he brings something important to your program that they didn't have before. It would be nice if Paddock, being a fourth-generation Illini, could stick around the program yeah. in some capacity. That would be wonderful. I think everyone would embrace that. We'll see what, what happens long-term. But as far as Altmaier and the play-calling situation goes, I agree with you. I think that having Altmaier stand in the pocket and hold the ball for too long was problematic. And the early games where they were calling a lot of quick reads for Altmaier, quick slants to Isaiah Williams, et cetera, that was when he was starting to really get his legs under. And it worked great. And then they immediately decided to go away from him. I don't understand this. Hopefully there's, there's a more in-tune in relationship next year between quarterback and coordinator. I am, again, in – as far as portal acquisitions go, I'd like a John Paddock type is the kind right. of person I, I'd like to see them bring in an Art Sikowski type. Someone who's not expecting to be a starter, but can play at a power five level. Right. I, I think that's, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah. I think that's important to uh, a, an important distinction. Like you're not going after DJU or somebody like that in the portal. You're not going after, you know, Dante Moore from UCLA fun as that would be to see him in champagne that's a guy who's expecting to be a starting quarterback you're not going to bring him in and then sit him because you already have a guy I think that's a, a good distinction to make um I didn't really think about it but yeah the, the Peters Altmeyer, Paddock Sikowski thing that's a really astute comparison to make I think maybe we fell in love with John Paddock more because of that lineage because of the story he wasn't just some dude that transferred and got a shot and won a couple of games. It was like, oh, by the way, his great-grandpa and his grandpa and his uncle also played for Illinois. That's really freaking cool. 
even though he grew up in Michigan, he was rocking orange and blue. He wasn't cheering for Michigan or Michigan State. He cheered for Illinois. Like, who does that? And then even when he's at Ball State, he's like an Illinois fan, a closet Illinois fan, but he's playing for Ball State. So, yeah, the story of John Paddock is really cool. It was, again, like the Lynn Sanity thing I mentioned earlier. It's like that you're going to make a 30 for 30 about that someday, maybe. You know, Lynn Sanity, it was this movement and it lasted for like a month. And then he can never replicate that anywhere else he went. He enjoyed it. He embraced it. He reveled in it. But then it was like a meteor. It was just it was gone really quickly. So I didn't mean to spend a whole lot of time talking about that. But I think it's, you know, it's important to get other perspectives. I wish Brant Dolce, our, our buddy, was on the show because he would always text or post in our group chat. No one is ever open. Like, okay, is that Altmaier's fault? Is that Lunny's fault? Is it the receiver's fault? Like, it's not just a one culprit crime, as you've said in the past. It's got to be a, a, a group effort there, a collaborative effort to not get anybody open and throw, you know, two yard slants on third and 10 because you can't find an open receiver 20 yards down the field. I'm just, I'm still Luke Getzies in my nightmares, even when I'm not talking about the bears. Um, <laughs> uh, Plez Honeywood joining me, Drew Pastoric on Oski talk. We're putting a bow on football season, previewing now the off season um, because the transfer portal is opening officially as of Monday. Players can can announce they're transferring. Some of them have announced commitments, but you really can't, quote, unquote, commit until the 4th. That's when the portal officially opens. And, Plez, you had talked about this at the ChampagneRoom.com, put together a really nice article about not necessarily players specifically, but position groups that – the Illini really need to pursue. And we talked about the secondary earlier. I think that's no brainer. You've got to get some more impact there. You like a lot of the guys that we have in tow already, but it's clear you need some kind of veteran presence there. You know, there's been a lot of shakeups at the power five level with coaching moves and stuff like that. And we know when that happens, talent always seems to shake loose and, they want to go ply their trade somewhere else. I, I know there's already been a couple of high-profile players with Illinois ties or Illinois area ties that are in the portal. Uh, Pride, I think, Toriano Pride from ESL, played at Clemson. He's in the portal now. I think that's a guy where you're like, we have to go after that guy. Even if you don't get him, you probably won't get him. But do what you need to do, put your best foot forward to get a guy like that. Um, so you did put a, a nice piece together at the Champagne Room outlining those positions of need, those groups. Just wanted you to expound on that. Yeah, so I think that secondary and offensive line and defensive line are the three most important positions to bolster your roster with experienced Power 5 talent. And or, it's, or even even if it's group of five talent, group of five talent that's that starting, productive, yeah, leadership intangibles, etc. I think that sometimes with defensive backs, this 
the staff has relied on getting walk-ons and junior college players to fill out the roster, and that clearly hasn't necessarily worked. Caleb Patterson didn't really do much as a JUCO transfer. Um, There's another uh, JUCO transfer, Prince Ford, I think was his name. I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting the name, but it doesn't necessarily matter because the player didn't really make a ton of impact. If you can't remember his name, that tells you all you need to know, probably. Yeah. So right now is the season for Illinois to pursue more experience. But Toriano Pride is exactly the kind of big game hunt that Illinois should go on in the secondary. To your point, he's going to have his choice of all kinds of top programs. But Illinois has a good self for defensive backs. So my hope is that that, that that works. As far as the offensive line goes, Illinois needs at least one no doubt offensive tackle because they've recruited very well as far as having young interior offensive linemen who might be ready to play this season or next season. But the offensive offensive tackles are hard to find and productive talented ones are extraordinarily hard to find. So if you can get a guy who's maybe fourth on the depth chart at a, at a top program, but has the prospect pedigree and the talent, you just need to get him in the right system. I think the offensive line is an extraordinarily big need. Um, as far as defensive line goes, you're losing Newton and Randolph. You're losing Denzel Daxton. You're losing Bryce Barnes. So that's a huge chunk of your snaps and your reps up front. Now, Fed McConnell is a solid depth piece, and I think he'll be back next year. You have Alex Bray, who did play as a true freshman. So – they obviously think highly of him. You have Jeremiah Warren. They seem to think highly of him. Okay. But you don't simply replace Newton and Randolph with solid dudes. you got to have impact guys who can get pressure. And uh, Clay Patterson, who has uh, verbally committed to the Illini, again, like I said, he can't officially sign yet. Uh, he's a grad transfer from Yale. So for all of you Illinois fans who are wants to complain about admissions, I don't think there will be any admissions hurdles on the guy with the Ivy League degree. So let's just yeah disabuse yeah, ourselves of probably, those notions right now. Yeah, we're probably good there. Yeah, I don't think he's gonna have any problems with the clearinghouse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you have so you have him, and he's he's played inside and outside. He's most productive inside. He had eleven and a half sacks in his year starting defensive tackle, but he moved to end, and still got significant pressure on the quarterback. I know the Ivy League isn't the same as the Big Ten, but productivity is productivity. And I think that for all of Terrence Jameson's recruiting mistakes, he's done a really good job coaching up the defensive line. And I think that he will, that Clay Patterson is an excellent addition, great early get. And I hope that's setting the tone for what the rest of the portal season slash you know, flip season will look like for the Illini. Right. Well, and yeah, I was going to say, it's not just transfer portal season, but you mentioned flip season. Got to, we can't have this conversation and leave out Dennis, right? AJ Dennis, big time flip was a Michigan State commit. We all know what happened there with Mel Tucker and the off the field business. I'll just say that. So now we're going to Jonathan Smith. 
which I think is a huge hire for that. I think that's a great, great hire. And it's like, of course, another Big Ten team that's struggling makes a terrific head coaching hire. Of course they would do that. But A.J. Dennis was a Michigan State commit. He flipped to Illinois. I think it's the highest rated prep recruit of the Brett Bielema regime. It, it is. That, that's what, correct. What do, you, what do you know about what do you know about AJ Dennis? Quickly. Interior offensive lineman could be in the two deep at guard or center the day he steps on campus. Oh, I'm hearing he will be enrolling early, so that's a great that's a great get to have on campus next month. And just relationships, you know, Bart Miller and Brett Bielema did a great job of not quitting on that recruitment, even when you know he was committed to a rival arrival program. And yeah, this is a huge get. I can't underscore how important it is, especially after Caleb Pyfrom out in Nebraska decommitted yeah. from Illinois. So there was there was a space and you, you go from getting a, a really good tackle prospect out of Nebraska to one of the top interior offensive line prospects in the nation. And I can't I can't speak positively enough about how big and how amazing of an addition that looks like right now. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously there's a lot of time left in the portal. It's not even opening technically until Monday morning. We're going to see a lot of moving and shaking. Um, there's been a few names, notably for Illinois. I would say Reggie loves the most notable that's leaving. Did that move surprise you? It was a little, I don't want to say it was a shock. And from what Brett Bielema said, earlier last week, it sounds like they'd had conversations for a couple of years, which is kind of surprising as well. Like you've had conversation with a guy for years about whether to leave or come back. Uh, but Brett Bielema didn't seem like it was a surprise to him that Reggie Love was going to seek another team. Uh, it would have been nice to have him, but I think the running back room health permitting is in a pretty good place, especially with Valentine coming in. Fingers crossed. Uh, Khalil Valentine lives up to that commitment and does stay with Illinois. This is the time of year where assistant coaches and head coaches get their hooks into other recruits and say, well, you know, eh, maybe we'll throw you a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, maybe we'll throw you some, some extra cashish to come over here. Um, but what were your thoughts on Reggie Love's announcement to transfer out? I was surprised. I, I won't say shocked. I, I didn't hear, I hadn't heard about any of those conversations about him potentially leaving in previous years. So I had no reason to expect uh, Reggie Love to be leaving, but he's a, he's a good productive player and he showed up when Illinois needed him and he had some big games. He's a talented player. I don't know if this is, an Illinois thing, maybe it's a Corey Patterson thing. I don't know because he, I was he's one of the Trinity Catholic kids. So a lot of those guys have have left the program. You know, Shaman Cooper is gone, etc. So that, I don't know what the situation is, but listen, wish him well. He was he was definitely a damn good football player for the Fighting Illini. Nothing, no ill will towards him, and I hope none of no one in the fan base. Please don't. Don't harass a kid who chooses to fly straight somewhere else. Please don't. Yeah. Um, but yeah. the running back, the running back room is the one room where 
you could lose a starting caliber player and not necessarily think that the sky is falling because they've got three or four guys next year, again, like I said, health permitting, who can proven they can ball in the Big Ten. I think if we hop back into the, the way back machine, Plez, if we go back to the summer, I'm pretty sure we were like, I don't know about this running back room. we got to replace Chase Brown. How is that going to shake out? And now fast forward, you know, four or five months later, we're like, no, running back room's great. We're fine. <laughs> and that was with yeah, the injury be- Jordan Anderson before the season. It's like now we're like, no, we've got Lawfrey, we've got Fagan, we've got, you know, Reggie Love or, you know, Khalil Valentine, Jordan Anderson. Like, we've got three or four guys we really like. I think we're okay. <laughs> that was not how we felt about that at all leading into the season. But we liked what we saw from, especially Lawfrey and Fagan, we liked what we saw from those two guys. And then Reggie Love came back and had a couple of really nice games for the end of the season as well. So, yeah, it, it's interesting how uh, – <laughs> As the fans from the hourglass rip through, that uh, your your whole mindset could change. Yeah, and and lest we forget Josh McRae, who whose yeah. injury was again it made an impact. Like, but they just kept. It's a credit to you know how how well that room was developed. You know, previously by Pat, Corey Patterson, now Thad Ward is in that seat. So shout out to him for keeping that, that room intact, no matter how many injuries happen. Yeah. And, and Plez, you did mention Trinity Catholic. There is another uh, somewhat notable player that Illinois has that also attended Trinity Catholic. I do believe um, I think he might have been a quarterback and then maybe switched positions at some point, if I remember that correctly. Uh, I think I, we might've heard about him before. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Isaiah Williams. Isaiah M.F. Williams, yeah, first team all Big Ten, led the Big Ten in catches, which is just, you think, like, it's been Marvin Harrison, Marvin Harrison, Marvin Harrison for, like, six months. Did not lead the Big Ten in catches. That was Isaiah Williams. And he balled out the last, like, month and a half of the season. He was playing as well as any other than quarterback, as well as any skilled player in the country, in my opinion. He had some costly mistakes, specifically in the Northwestern game, but just in totality, he had such an impact that last month of the season for Illinois, and and of course the last you know three plus seasons as well. If I'm Isaiah Williams, I could be the all-time leading receiver in Illinois history. Maybe that isn't important to him, but it'd be important to me if it was me. <laughs> like. I can be literally the greatest receiver in the history of the program. And we don't know what the future holds. We don't know who's coming back. I'll say this. I don't think he's going to transfer somewhere else. I think he's either going to come back to Champaign or he's going to go pro. What say you? What I hope happens is that he at least tests the waters of the NFL. He's earned the right to know where NFL scouts see him and see his potential and see his career. So if he decides he's going to stay in the draft because he gets a favorable, you know, hey, you, you could be a day two guy. If he gets that kind of feedback, then I wish him well because you only have so many hits you can take. And I like to see him, if he can make it to the NFL, get as many years in the league as he possibly can. He is, he's done so much for this program. 
sticking it out through some really tough times. Again, we've used every superlative we possibly could about Isaiah Williams. So if he's back next year, I'll be ecstatic. Like it's from a as a from a fan standpoint, it's easy to get excited about seeing that guy run on this onto the field for the team you cheer for, the school you went to. Like it's there's something to be said for that. But I think he sh- he should at least find out what the NFL has for him. And I'm with you. I don't think he's in a transfer. Like I, I don't I don't see that happening. I, even the Corey Patterson pull might not be strong enough to get him to transfer. Yeah. We've made this comparison with Io. There's a lot of parallels there between Io DeSumo and Isaiah Williams, guys that committed when they certainly could have gone other places. They were highly touted recruits. Any team in the nation would have been happy to have either one of those guys. You know, Io committed to Brad Underwood when the program was still in tatters. It wasn't like Illinois was competing for national championships and they get another five-star kid. Like he was the face of the rebuild. And Isaiah Williams, yes, it was Lovey Smith. It wasn't Brett Bielema that brought him in, but same concept. Those Illinois teams were so bad, so bad under Lovey Smith. And one thing that Lovey Smith did know how to do was identify talent. Maybe couldn't coach it as well as we would have liked, but look at all the guys that started off at Illinois during that Lovey Smith regime that are now in the pros. Not necessarily on the offensive side, not as many of those guys, they're mostly defense, but still identifying guys that maybe had zero stars or one star or two stars and rounded them into form. And now they're succeeding at the highest possible level. Isaiah Williams is a guy that came in as a QB. I don't have to go through the story, you know, the resume, but that's a hard transition to make when you're expecting to be a quarterback and you're a five-star recruit and Alabama is after you and wants you to play there. And Illinois is where you decide to go. Like, that doesn't happen, right? No one spurns Alabama to go to Illinois. You can't really ask him to do much more than he's done. I hope that whatever he decides to do, it's well thought out, it's well reasoned, and I agree with you. If he's going to be a a day two pick, like a third, fourth round pick, by all means, go Make your money. I know you're making some money now, but you're going to make more money in the NFL. If you want to come back, door is going to be open. Brett Bielema is going to give you the biggest bear hug he can possibly give you. So whoever the quarterback is, you're going to feel a lot better knowing that number one is there. But if he doesn't come back, it's been a, a tremendous career. We know that you know Newton and Randolph are leaving. Isaiah Williams is going to you know, spend some time to think about it. He's earned the right to think about that carefully and closely and wish him the best in whatever he decides to do. Absolutely. Plus, Honeywood, joining me, Drew Pastoric on Oski Talk. A reminder that Oski Talk is sponsored by Liddyville LLC. You can purchase officially licensed Illini merchandise at liddyville.com, L-I-T-T-Y-V-I-L-L-E.com. You can also follow them on X at Liddyville Gear. They've got a player alumni line where all the purchases will benefit either current Illini athletes or University of Illinois alumni organizations and charities. So support the movement. Place your order today at liddyville.com. 
So, plus, we talked about Illinois football and kind of the future there. But the playoff rankings did come out. I just wanted some to, to chat quickly about that. Michigan dispatching of Iowa. It was a 26-0 final, but it, it wasn't a super impressive game. Iowa's defense did what we thought they would do. They would do their damnedest to keep that game competitive, and the offense just couldn't do anything. So that's pretty much par for the course. So Michigan does what they should have done. They're number one. Washington took care of business against Oregon. They're number two. But you had this debate of really three teams, four teams, I guess, for the final two spots. Alabama, Georgia, Texas, and Florida State. Texas beat Oklahoma State by 1,000 points on Saturday. So they left their future in no doubt whatsoever. We won our conference. We needed to win convincingly with style points. But then you have this Alabama, Florida State, Georgia thing. Alabama, obviously, a mild upset. It's not like Let's not go crazy. It was a mild upset. They beat Georgia. Georgia reigning two-time national champs, 29 straight wins, all that jazz. Alabama beats them, and then the nightmare scenario unfolds of, well, now do you put two SEC teams in? Do you put Alabama in? Well, if you put Alabama in, then you got to put Texas in because Texas beat Alabama head-to-head. And you can't put Alabama ahead of Texas. And what happens to Florida State? Florida State's an unbeaten conference champion. Any other team does that, they are in the field. There's no wobbling about it. But they're out of the field. Alabama gets that fourth spot. They're going to play Michigan. No one thinks Michigan's going to win that game, right? No one thinks Michigan's going to beat Alabama, right? Because I certainly don't think that's going to happen. Um, not because of any hatred I have towards Michigan, though they've earned a lot of that this past season as well. Um, it's just, it's because it's friggin' Alabama. So I get the chatter of, well, Florida State lost its quarterback. Okay. They won two games without Jordan Travis, a rivalry game against Florida, and then you won the ACC championship game. Again, any other team had done this, it's not an issue. I think it's kind of soft. It's kind of an easy way out for the committee to be like, well, Florida State obviously isn't as good without their quarterback. So they really wouldn't beat one of these other teams anyway. So they did the safe thing and they put in Alabama. That's my opinion on it. What do you think? Did the committee get it right, Les? I mean, there really is not such thing as right. It's how many people did the committee piss off this year is, is the question. And it's the college football playoff is a television product. As much as it is a football tournament, it is a television product. And there sure. are very few, te- I would argue there may not be too many teams in the country who draw a number like the University of Texas will draw. I mean, yep. I think it's kind of it's kind of controversial putting Texas in a little bit because I mean, a one-loss Texas team over, or you know, putting them in over.
over an undefeated Florida State team. Uh, but they beat Alabama, though. They beat Alabama. So to me, there's no discussion there. Like they, if you're going to put Alabama in, then you had to put Texas in. That really wasn't the question. It was to me who was you had three teams: Georgia, Alabama, Florida State, vying for the fourth spot. You could even have made an argument for Ohio State too, but well, no one seemed but, to really be interested in that. Yeah, I'm not disputing your your position. I'm I'm just saying that I think that Alabama beating Georgia in their in the SEC championship game, one could argue was the biggest single game victory of the whole season. Sure. So, so putting Alabama in, I understand it in that context because I think if you beat Georgia and you're already a top ten team, you show that you're one of the top teams in the country. So I have no problem with Alabama actually being in the playoff. Their one loss was to Texas. Who has shown themselves to be a really good team this year, and I I think I am fine with the four teams in the playoff. I am not going to wag my finger and say I'm not going to watch the WCC. No, I'm definitely going to watch. I'm I'm going to watch every second of it. But as well, forty million other people. Yeah, exactly. And all the Florida State fans who think their team got hosed, I don't I don't think they're wrong. I mean, they're yeah. a power. You're a power conference program, but you know who who would you say was their best win this year? Is it is it LSU? Yeah. Um, sure. You know the um, you know obviously Louisville was a top fifteen team, but I just my thought is yes, Alabama is a worthy team. There's no doubt about that. To me, it's always been like, well, Alabama's losses don't count. Every other team can lose a game, and they're host. It just seems like they're playing patty cake with Alabama. That's all it is to me. Like, yes, they beat Georgia, but they're going to talk about, well, this game in September. I, I don't like that idea of, well, they're a different team now. When they like, no, 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 no. Texas went to Alabama and beat them by double digits. I don't care if it was week two, if it was week 11, week 12. So if you're going to use that logic, then did y'all not use your eyes to watch the Alabama Auburn game? Literally got a fourth and 32 or like a fourth and goal throw from the 32 yard line to beat a six win Auburn team who lost to New Mexico State and you barely beat South Florida. So to me, it's like we're using the eye test, but only the eye test from what happened 24 hours ago and not the eye test from the whole season. Leaving out Florida State just seems kind of like they don't want to repeat what happened with TCU last year. All right, plus we're going to jump ship. We're going to move out of the football frame of mind. Obviously, there'll be more news of transfers and acquisitions as the days and weeks move on, probably 10 minutes after I publish this podcast, because that's what always happens. Uh, But we're going to switch to hoops now. Specifically, men's hoops, a big, massive win for Brad Underwood on Saturday, literally and figuratively big in the margin of victory, but big as far as meaning as well. Just tasting Rutgers to open Big Ten play. Uh, Really a, a phenomenal effort, a complete game. The game was in doubt at some point, but not because of anything Illinois did. Again, I wish our buddy Brent was on the show today. Uh, I think he had some very specific comments, loaded and ready to go. Um, 
You can read his piece about basketball at the champagneroom.com. He's very bullish on the program. I had Tristan, Tristan Kissick from the champagne room on a couple weeks ago. He's about as all in as you can be about his thoughts on the program as well. This is the best Illinois looked start to finish all season, even in those games where they've played, you know, Southern or Western Illinois or Valpo. Like this was the best bar none hands down. They've looked for 40 minutes, got off to a really hot start, led 18 to six at the under 12 timeout at one point led 24 to eight. Then, you know, the ref show started and every Illini player, Going back to James Augustine, got whistled for a foul. And we had, you know, Amani Hansberry play in like 12 minutes in the first half because nobody was available to take the court. Uh, Rutgers goes on a little bit of a run there, a 20 to 10 run to cut the lead to six. But Illinois stayed the course. Uh, they've got a guy who's pretty good. That Shannon guy is doing okay for himself. He mostly shouldered that load in the first half and then carried that on in the second half. Just a phenomenal effort by TSJ. And I don't think there's enough praise you can lavish on TSJ right now. He has just been every bit the player you hoped he would be when he decided to return to Champaign. He's lived up to the billing every game. He has shown why he's one of the top players, not just in the Big Ten, but the entire country plays. He certainly is. He's going to get some first-team All-American looks if he keeps playing like this. That We're getting at least bits of UCLA Terrence Shannon in pretty much every game. Like he's The, the question was, is he willing to take over games on a regular basis? Yep, I, I think he is. And he is, he's been excellent on both ends of the floor. He's been able to paper over some bad games from important players with his aggression and his willingness to just be a dog out there sometimes. Yeah. I know that people yeah. love to say that, use that expression. It was why Sincere Harris was a fan favorite, right? Because he's got that dog in him. Or Justin Harmon, right? It's that, it's that kind of player. Chicago kid, tough, hard-nosed. This team is going to go as far as Terrence Shannon Jr. can take it, and they're going to follow his lead. He's not as vocal as – I remember last year they brought in him and they brought in Matthew Meyer. And Terrence wasn't as vocal as, as Matthew Meyer. It kind of, kind of made me want to hear a little bit more from Terrence, honestly. But this yeah, – do, do we know about Terrence Shannon Jr.'s pregame routine? Is he doing like the goat yoga and is he, uh, is he going vegan? Like, Do we know about his dietary plan and his, his workout regimen? Because, you know – Matthew Meyer was pretty insistent on that. Like, is Terrence Shannon Jr. eating before games? That's what everybody really wants to know, Plus, He's eating during games. He's eating opponents' lunches every single night on the floor, and that's what matters to me. And this team is following his lead. I, I think that having – Brad Dolce and I have had this debate back and forth about, about Damask versus Goody, right? I don't understand why it has why why we have to make it either or because I think that Rutgers game demonstrated how well those two guys can play together, and if you have that kind of floor spacing with both of those guys, that enables Terrence Shannon to do all kinds of downhill damage to any team oh. 
foolish enough to get in his way when he's got the ball in his hand. It gives it gives Coleman Hawkins a chance to kind of be a secondary facilitator, and it gives Ty Rogers yeah. and and it gives Ty Rogers an opportunity to be off the ball a little bit, but to be the guy who kind of is the conduit for the offense. He's good in that role. He enables Shannon's star performances enable the rest of the roster to settle into their natural roles. And that's where Illinois excels. And that's what we saw against Rutgers. Yes, absolutely. Your best players need to show up in, in big time moments, right? We, and, and Shannon was really, really good last year. Don't get it twisted. I mean, he was first team all big 10 last year, but there were stretches of play where he was not an impact player. You know, you had that, that UCLA game. We're going to be talking about that. They're going to be showing that game on Big Ten Network for the next 20 years. And he would have games where he would go like seven of 25. You know, he just, he couldn't string together 18 to 20 points a night with regularity. You know, some nights Matthew Meyer would be the alpha guy. Some nights, you know, Coleman Hawkins has a triple-double. Now we're getting the Terrence Shannon that we expected to get from day one when he first transferred from Texas Tech. We're like, oh, man, like that is that guy. When they said Illinois had the number one transfer class in 2022, like that's the stuff they were talking about, his explosion, his athleticism, his verticality. Like, you're trying to defend that guy at the rim when he goes up? Like, no thanks. Nope. I know they don't really do a lot of posters anymore, but I'm not going to be on that poster. You can have it. Take your dunk. I'm not going to get a knee to the chest because you've got a 70-inch vertical leap. Like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. So, like, obviously we're exaggerating a little bit out of excitement, but, man. Downhill, I can't think of any players that are more deadly right now than TSJ. And we saw him do that last year, too. But it was a lot of the other stuff. Like, he was taking a lot of ill-advised shots. And then it's like, okay, we're going to flip the switch. We need to come back. We're down by 10. Let me go attack the rim now. Instead of just, I'm going to attack the rim the first possession all the way through to the last possession. And it's, I think it's helped make him a better player as Brant Dolce has pointed out in his piece, in the champagne room, like his shooting numbers overall have gone up. He was a 32% three point shooter last year. It's like 43 or 44% now. Like if he can give you that athleticism, that burst at the rim and shoot 40% from three, good luck to whoever has to defend him. Yeah, this team, when we talk about potential, I don't want to overshoot how how good this team can be. I will. I like the construction of this roster with the veteran experience. I was running. Gary A has been pretty solid. He had a really good game. Yeah. And his records, Harmon's been good. You know, so looking at this roster, um, with, with Terrence Shannon Jr.'s just sheer excellence this season, he can put this team on his back for stretches of games, big games. Against those teams in the Big Ten, they're going to be tough down the stretch. And with the Terrence Shannon who's shown up this season, I like Illinois' chances and a lot more of those games 
than I would have even last year when Illinois projected so well preseason. Now, I, I think the veteran floor has risen with this roster. And, you know, again, Terrence Shannon Jr. can take this roster pretty far. Yeah, this team's Final Four good. I don't think there's any doubt about that. They've got the talent to make a Final Four. I'm not putting the car before the horse. I'm not getting overly excited. It's a long season, but it's a little weird. I'm going to use a weird analogy. I was watching the um, the college football committee selection show on Sunday, and they had Steve Sarkeesian on, the head coach of Texas. Texas getting into the CFP for the first time. Hook them. Um, and obviously, Steve Sarkeesian goes back a long way. He was at Alabama as a coordinator. He was a head coach at USC before that and Washington before that and was an assistant for many, many years in those, those great, great SC teams. He was mentioning that he had a conversation with Pete Carroll when he took the Texas job. And Pete Carroll was like, you can do it the way they've always done things, and you'll, you'll do fine. You'll reach the level that they've reached currently. Or you can do things your way, and it might be a little rocky. It might not go well initially, but eventually you're going to build up that culture, and you're going to build that belief, and it's going to pay off in the long run. Now, we know Texas football isn't the most patient fan base out there. Five and seven, you can have one of those. You better not have two of those. And they did. But the example is the same. I think using Brad Underwood as an example there. He did things his way, right? He could have done things Bruce Weber's way or John Gross's way. And maybe they'd be like a tournament team. Maybe they'd be like, you know, eighth or ninth in the Big Ten. They might be okay. But he rebuilt this program in his image. He had a certain idea of what this is going to be moving forward. It's going to take a couple of years. We know those first two seasons were bad, like worst in the history of the program, bad. But we've seen it incrementally increase, you know, getting IO there. And, you know, it sucks about 2020. We never know what have happened. So we, it blurs our image of the program because maybe that team goes to the elite eight or the final four. And then we're not even having this conversation about Brad Underwood can't win in March. Like we don't know. We'll never know. Maybe they get bounced out in the first round as an eight seed. Maybe they go on to win the whole freaking thing. We don't know. I think it's a fair distinction to point out that Illinois would have been in the tournament that year, but there was no tournament. So then you have that disappointment of the year after, right? The number one seed, you lose to Loyola. Oh my God, this is blah, blah, blah. Then you go to the second round, you lose to Houston the following year, you lose in the second round or the uh, the first round rather to Arkansas the year after that. It's like, okay, well, two of those three games, Illinois wasn't favored to win. They weren't favored to beat Houston. And then Arkansas was a very similar team to Illinois. Like, Illinois was not the betting favorite in any of those games except that first one against Loyola. So it's not like it's been, hey, we're losing to 13 seeds every March. You know, they've they've run into some bad luck with matchups and things like that that happens. But we're seeing now 
with recruiting and the roster construction and the portal has certainly helped, of course, that Brad Underwood is starting to shape this team the way he wants it to be. And I think that having Shannon back makes all the difference in the world. We were terrified at season's end last year. Like, we know Meyer's gone. Uh, Shannon and Hawkins are probably going to be gone because why would they stay? And then you lost, you know, Epps and Melendez and, you know, a bunch of other guys. Hawkins and TSJ come back and you're like, ooh, that's huge. And then you put little pieces in there like Harmon, Damask. Like, okay, you're not trying to just go big game hunting, as you said earlier about football. We're going to get the biggest five-star guy and we're just going to plug him in and we're going to be national champions, baby. No, 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 no. This team fit. The pieces seem to fit really well. Still need a point guard. We know that. We thought maybe it was going to be DGL. He had that one really great game to start the year. and We were all like, holy shit, we got our guy. Hasn't worked out so far. But we also thought Moretti was like two years away from being worth a damn. And he's been pretty good. And then he got hurt because, of course, he did because we're Illinois and we can't have nice things ever. Rogers still looks like a fish out of water at point guard. They're not setting up to succeed. They like they want it to be a thing. They're trying to make fetch happen, <laughs> but it's not happening. So, you know, if you get a point guard and and maybe that evolves as the season evolves as well, like someone's gonna just become that guy. Maybe it's Moretti. I think Moretti was looking pretty good before he got hurt. That's going to be the big piece. You've got the stars, so to speak, already in place. We know TSJ is as advertised. But Coleman Hawkins is a wild card in all this. Coleman Hawkins, and Brant talks about this too, is the most important player that Illinois has. Not the best player, but we've seen this already this year, let alone previous seasons. Coleman Hawkins helps that team win. He's very important to winning. So when he has a bad game, this team's going to have a hard time winning. So I know he was injured and that played a part in it, but we've seen the one-footed step-back fadeaway stuff already this year. We've seen the wild passes and the erratic shooting and like that has to get better. Like you have to clean that stuff up. He's too important of a guy. He's not, you know, Brandon Lieb. You know, he's your number two guy. And you can't have your, I'll use the Bulls analogy, you can't have Scottie Pippen throwing the ball away 15 times a game or taking these dumb rushed shots when you could get something better. He was too unselfish at times last year. And gradually he got better. And I feel like I'm on PTI and I'm going after the bell for 12 minutes. But you know what I'm saying? Like he is, as Shannon goes, so goes Illinois. But you need Coleman Hawkins to be good Coleman Hawkins. We've had too many bad Coleman Hawkins games. Consistency from Coleman Hawkins is key. I, I'm interested to hear how he adjusts to the feedback he got from the NBA for the, for the remainder of the season between his ability as a secondary facilitator and his shooting ability, and maybe most importantly, his defense, especially his defense at the rim. I think he'll be 
he's a significant factor in how far Illinois can actually go this year. But it's it's gonna it's going to come down to consistency because he's always going to have those moments of brilliance and those moments of you know people ripping their hair out, putting their you know banging their head against the table where they're sitting. Why did he throw that pass, etc. You're going you're going to get both. But if he can limit the wild swings and be a, a steadier yeah. presence, be a steadier presence, I think that that that's the second that's the secondary piece that a star like Shannon needs because. Hawkins fills in all the other blanks. Yeah. It, it's like, it's kind of like uh Curbelo in a way. Yeah. Curbelo would make four or five plays a game where you're like, I've never seen that before. Like I've literally watched basketball my whole life. I've never seen a player do that. And then in the same breath, you're like, how could he possibly do that? It's the dumbest play I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> it's like there was too much of that. And I think the fan base kind of turned on him. This is the point guard we need. But then, oh, he also had 11 turnovers in this game because he is trying to do way, way too much. And I think Pullman Hawkins last year especially was trying to do way too much. And towards the end of the year, he had to. Like he was playing all five positions, uh, especially in that tournament game. It was like, I'm the point guard and the center and I'm playing them both at the same time. <laughs> There's some games, and it's a, you'll appreciate the WWE reference. It looks like an octopus in a washing machine sometimes. <laughs> Where it's like every limb is just going all over the place with no rhyme or reason to it. And if you can rein that in and we get a savvy Coleman Hawkins paired with the great play, the great two-way play that Terrence Shannon Jr. has displayed so far, as I said earlier, that's a Final Four caliber team. And they've got the physicality. You know, we, we haven't talked about this yet, but Four straight games with 50-plus rebounds. First time since 1979 and 80 that that's happened. Like, maybe you won't beat Purdue. Maybe you won't out-rebound them. But you're going to kill a lot of these teams in the Big Ten rebounding the ball like that. When you get 50 rebounds, 55 rebounds a game, you're going to – and you're presuming that probably 10 to 12 of those are going to be on the offensive side, so you're – you're getting second chance opportunities as well because everyone's around the rim. And we know how Brad Arnold likes to play defense. So they're going to be an in-your-face intense defensive team, and they're going to rebound the ball. Man, this could be a very special team. Yeah. Miss me about the Marquette stuff. It's fine. They lost the game to a top five team. It ain't a big deal. It's going to be fine. You're going to have 15 more games like that in the regular season to rectify that one. So I'm not worried about that. But I do want to move on, though, to FAU. Illinois taking on the Owls at Madison Square Garden. Jimmy V Classic. Of course, Illinois had that epic game last year against Texas in the Jimmy V. Um, FAU to me is still a difficult team to read. I said this a couple of times. I said it with Tristan Kissick a, a couple weeks ago too. Like, I don't know if FAU is the next Gonzaga or if they're like George Mason. It looks like they're pretty good. They had a lot of their guys return from that Final Four team. But they're in a new league now. They're in the American now. So that's a level up in competition as well. They're not going to sneak up on anybody like they did last year. 
What's your take on FAU? How do you feel about the Owls? They run a pretty tight rotation, which is a sign yeah. they've got be- they've got veterans they trust, and their big guy. Their, their offense seems to run run through their through their center, Golden, I think is his name, and mm-hmm. they've they've got you know again a tight, experienced rotation, and they and to their credit, they execute really well. So, I think they're beatable. I think Illinois has more talent top to bottom than Florida Atlantic does. I think that Illinois last year might have had more trouble with this team with the way the roster was constructed, but I think that this year's roster construction bodes well for playing against veteran teams because you have you know guys like Damask and Harmon and Garrier who have been there, done that, and seen everything. And, and yeah. don't forget, Shannon, you know, went to a Final Four at Texas Tech as well. So you have you have these guys with, with this level of experience. I think it's obviously not an easy matchup, but it will be a quality. If Illinois pulls it out, it will be definitely a quality win that'll hold. I think Florida Atlantic is going to be a solid team all year. They're probably going to be in the top 25-ish range, no matter if they lose a couple of games or not. I think the perception of them is, is such that their respected program now. I think they've I think they're they're better than I might have given them credit for at one point in time, but I think it's a winnable game. Is it gonna kill Illinois if they lose the game? Not really. Um it's not like they're losing to Minnesota or somebody like that. You know like you know and I'm saying like it's not like they're losing to the 13th place team in the Big Ten at home. You know, it's a top 25 team on the road or uh neutral site. You might have that hangover effect. We may see that because that win over Rutgers was so impressive and everything seemed to be clicking. Do you have that emotional letdown or do you just keep the skill? Now, I'm going to be at the Tennessee game next Saturday. I've already convinced myself that that means they're going to lose. So I'm hoping that they at least beat FAU so I can be like, okay, they beat a top 25 team. They can keep that in their holster for March and you know, when they put out the CV to the selection committee, they can say, all right, we beat FAU in a neutral site. Yeah, I've already convinced myself that I'm just going to be humiliated against the Vols. And I'm going to have to deal with the, the wrath of that for, you know, weeks and months to come. Uh, so just get this one out of the way. Beat FAU and then whatever happens against Tennessee. Yeah. It, it is weird, though, because like, like all of these games, like you can – I don't want to say excuse them away, but it's like Marquette. Okay, you lose to Marquette. It's a home game, but they were top five team, right? They've got one of the best point guards in the country in Coli. You play FAU. It's a neutral site game. So theoretically, there's no advantage there. It's two ranked teams. You just kind of flip a coin there. You play Tennessee. You lose to Tennessee. Well, it's a road game, and they're the number one favorite in the SEC. So that doesn't really hurt you. Uh, I know that. We've talked about Michigan State a lot and how Brad Underwood wants to resemble the makeup of those Tom Izzo teams, right? We want to play a bunch of ranked teams. We want to play a tough schedule to set us up for potential success in March. But <laughs> it would help you if you won a couple of those games. Because there's been years where Michigan State would do that, and they play Duke and Carolina and Kentucky and Kansas back to back to back. And it's like, okay, great, you play those teams, but now you're 20 and 13. <laughs> like, did it help you really? Like, I don't know. So if Illinois can get one of those wins, 
you know, Rutgers is a good win. Not a great win yet, but a good win, a road win in the Big Ten, beating FAU, and then hopefully double dipping and beating Tennessee. That's going to be a, a big time, big time week for Illinois. Tennessee's intriguing now too, though, with, with Dalton Connect status kind of up in the air. He he went off against North Carolina. And if he's injured, if he's not 100% or if he is out of that game altogether, Illinois has got a really good chance to steal that one, I think. Yeah, I think if Illinois can split FAU and Tennessee, I think you feel good, you feel good about that week if, if you come out one and one. If you win both of them, I think that's, that's significant momentum. If, you know, if you lose both of them, it's bad, but it's not the end of the world. So I, I think that you, you learn something about where your program needs to improve by playing against programs that are at a similar level. Yes. And I, I yeah. think as of today, those are two teams that are at a similar level as the Illini. Now, as the season proceeds, we might see that the Illini are, are considerably better, or maybe they have a step forward to take in some area. Perhaps ball security becomes an issue. I don't know. But the, the, maybe too many dumb threes. Whatever the issue is, there's plenty of time. I'm glad they're having these tests early. I, I'm not a fan of the preseason polls all that much. It's kind of much ado about nothing. I certainly don't care much for bracketology in you know June, July, August, September, October. Like it, it gives you airspace to fill in the off season. And they say, oh, this should have been 14 and not 18. This is like again, like the playoff chatter, that's different because you can compare a body of work. There's nothing to compare in the preseason other than, oh, Illinois is really good against Kansas. That's pretty fun, right? But it's not going to mean Jack in March. If those two teams play again, Kansas might be 30 points better than Illinois. We don't know. So I to steal the coach speak thing, the one game at a time thing, pretty much what you have to do. You can look at opportunities to win games, sure, but this college basketball season's already been pretty nutty. Duke lost two games this week as the top 25 team. Kentucky lost to UNC Wilmington at home on Saturday night, I believe. FAU's lost to Bryant. You know, Illinois struggled with Oakland in the second game of the year. So, I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff still left to unfurl. But I think the general point we've been trying to make is Illinois looks like they're a pretty complete group. There's a couple of things that need to get tied up, but excitement's already getting to like an irrational level, I think, for a lot of us at the Champagne Room. Of like, ain't no stopping us now. Let's go. Yeah, I, I, I try to, I try not to get as excited as I used to, but man, like it's hard to not watch Terrence Shannon Jr.'s performances and not get hyped. But yeah, I, I think he's doing. I think that to to the there's rationale for enthusiasm, but we can keep it. We can keep it cautious enthusiasm for the time being. All right, Plus Honeywood, thank you so much for the time. As always, man, always a great time chatting with you. We'll have to wait more than uh, three months before doing this again, but uh, always love your takes. Always love what you bring to the table. Always a blast talking with you, man. Hey, thank you very much, man. I really appreciate you having me on. I had a great time as usual. Always love having Plus Honeywood on. If you missed any of our conversation, you can check it out at thechampagneroom.com. Listen to prior episodes of Oski Talk. You can also download and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Appreciate you for listening as always. 
going to be an interesting week. And and we touched on a lot of this with Plez as well, but a busy week of hoops, Florida Atlantic on Tuesday. Then you have the game with Tennessee on Saturday. Man, Illinois can split those two. That's tremendous. If they can win both of those games, that is incredible. And even if they go 0-2, it's not the end of the world. But you do want to have one of those wins against a ranked team under your belt. So we'll see what happens. I will be at, I think it's called the Food City Center now, uh, the artist formerly known as Thompson Bowling Arena in Knoxville. I'll be wearing my orange and blue. I'll be surrounded by creamsicle orange. We know one orange-clad team is going to win. There's no doubt about that. But (laughs) should be a lot of fun this week, man. As I said with Plez, there's untapped potential with this team. Don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but it looks like they are primed for the long haul. If they can get the point guard situation sorted out, if, if someone can step into that role, and if we see these contributions continuing from guys like Lou Goody, didn't even talk about him during the show today, but Damask has been really good. Harmon's been pretty good. Even guys like Hansberry have stepped in at certain points and have provided positive contributions. The depth is there. The talent top to bottom is there to be as good as any team in the country. But you got to win the games. It's not a beauty contest. You got to win the games. So hopefully Illinois can win a couple this week. And I would foresee them certainly being in the top 20, probably like 18 or 17 this week with all the other teams that have lost. But if they can get a victory or two against these ranked opponents this week, that is going to really vault them up and probably into a top 10 caliber team. So very eager to watch them play. I know you are as well and follow us at the champagne room. We'll have you covered, get you all the content you need to prime you for FAU and Tennessee. Be back next week to talk about all of that. So thanks for listening. I'm Drew Pastoric, ILL.